Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. I want I was going to take a little bit amen to get to where God wants us to because I think there's some things he wants to say to us along the way. King David's journey to becoming king was not one of ease and peace, and though it was determined by God, it was still resisted by man, right? We cannot allow, and, and, and let me just throw this in quick, and then I'll move on. We cannot allow human resistance to halt our heavenly purpose. Hallelujah. Anybody feel like you got a purpose in your life? Come on, somebody. Why don't you go ahead and raise that hand? You feel like you got a purpose in your life, a God-given purpose. Amen. I believe that it is a miraculous thing for man and God to operate in unison. I think when you begin to think about it, it becomes more, even more miraculous that I believe, and you know this, God's will in your life is the most important thing of all. God's will being done in our lives cannot be topped. There is nothing greater than that. Thus, the enemy works very hard to confuse, to disrupt, and to stall, amen, people from operating and living in the will of God in their life. Amen. And so our ability to stay in God's will requires a steadfast determination to do so. I just want to tell somebody tonight that if you want to be in God's will, you got to really want to be in God's will. It's not enough to just say, I want the will of God to happen in my life. It's not enough to say once in a while you throw a prayer up into heaven and say, God, thy will be done. If you want God's will to come to pass in your life, then you got to be boldly determined that there ain't nothing that's going to come against me. There is nothing that's going to come in my path that is going to keep me from the will of God. I wish somebody would grab a hold of that right now. you got to get a boldness inside of your spirit that the devil knows it doesn't matter what comes my way. I'm going to fight to stay in the will of God. Oh, hallelujah. Our ability to stay in God's will takes a steadfast determination, which is why I believe it's a miraculous thing to see someone living in God's will. God and man working in harmony is a plan that is designed to save the world. And just so you understand what I mean by that, I know that God alone can save. But Acts chapter 1 tells us, Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, I'm going to fill you with my power, but then you're going to be my witnesses. God and man working together is a plan that will save the world. I'll go on and say in Matthew 28, uh, amen, where it tells us that Jesus spake unto them, and he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Jesus said, I have all power in heaven and earth. But then he said to them, go ye therefore and teach all nations. He said, I've got all the power, but I want you to go out, hallelujah, and I want you to be disciple makers, and I want you to be teachers of, of the word, and I want you to tell people about the gospel message God and man working together in unison will save the world. I wish you would clap your hands if you believe that. 
This is why God chooses David in the first place, because Saul had become self-reliant and unsubmitted. And God took the throne away from him, and he gave it instead to David in 1 Samuel 15, 10 and 11. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel the prophet, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he is turned back from following me. Saul is the one that turned back. Oh, hallelujah. Make sure you get that right because as we get a little further here, you're going to need to understand Saul's the one that turned his back on God. God did not turn his back on Saul. God doesn't turn his back on anyone ever. Oh, hallelujah. Are you thankful for that? He said, Saul, he turned his back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And then he confronted King Saul in 1 Samuel 15 and 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. And he goes on in verse 28, and Samuel said unto him, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. I want to remind us tonight before I go any further that God gives us more than we deserve. And he helps us with more than we even ask him for. And he endures us a whole lot longer than he should. Oh, come on, somebody. Amen. That's all true, ain't it? That's all true. But I'm also going to say this. If need be, there is always someone else that God can use. Oh, hallelujah. If need be, he'll find somebody else. Saul would have worked out, but Saul turned his back on God. Saul would have worked out, but he refused to continue to submit unto the Lord. Saul would have been fine, but he got a rebellious spirit inside of him. And he went after things that he shouldn't go after. We sang the song this morning. We fall down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And that's a beautiful song. Amen. And we can choose every single day of our life. We can choose to lay down the crowns of this life at the feet of Jesus. We can make a choice that says, no matter what crowns come into my path, no matter what crowns get put onto my head, I'm taking them off and I'm laying them down at the feet of the one who saved me. I'm laying them down at the feet of the one who bled and died for me. I'm laying them down at the feet of the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave and made a way out of no way that I might be saved. Oh, hallelujah. But if we don't, we will eventually begin to believe that we are the king. That's the problem with leaving the crown on too long. You start thinking you're really the king. Oh, hallelujah. David was better than Saul. Think about that. Samuel declared to Saul's face, the Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. Better. That word in, the, in this context means someone who will do 
what God asks them to do. Oh, hallelujah. So before someone, oh, I'm better. <laughs> better at what? Better looking? Are you better looking? Or are you just better at looking at yourself? <laughs> before we get all wrapped up in how much better we are than other people, we need to keep in mind that the better that God cares about is those who are better at serving Him, better at honoring Him, better at loving Him, better at doing what He asked them to do. We get into the will and work of God by our obedience. We get involved in ministry by obedience. We become effective because of obedience. And we can be removed by disobedience. Oh, well, thank you. Appreciate that polite Minnesota response. Amen. I said we can be removed by disobedience. We get in by obedience. It's disobedience that removes us. And so we find David the object of Saul's hate. Unable to feel safe any longer in the presence of the king he loved. In 1 Samuel 20, 24, and 25, David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon was come, the king sat him down to eat meat. And the king sat upon his seat as at other times even upon a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner, Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. And David's place was empty. This is the first day that David is absent from the dinner table with the king. The next day, David is also absent. And King Saul begins to show his intentions. You see, Saul's son Jonathan was David's friend, and Jonathan was not convinced that his daddy would actually kill David or even wanted to kill David. David had already escaped death at the hand of Saul before, and he was pretty convinced that he shouldn't come to the dinner table. And so Jonathan and David arranged for David to be absent from the dinner table, wanting to see the true intentions of King Saul. I'll say it like this. People will show their true colors eventually. Hate cannot stay hidden for very long. In verse 27 of 1 Samuel 20, And it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty again. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet, neither yesterday nor today? And Jonathan gives his dad the excuse that him and David had arranged to be given. And Saul cannot hide his heart any longer. And he accuses Jonathan of being rebellious. And he accuses him of being intolerable and he says some very rude things about his mother and then Jonathan and that Jonathan is weak and implies that Jonathan would not be ever be able to be king anyway and that he would only want David that Jonathan would prefer that David be king and he just goes off on his son because he's got hate in his heart these words come from a hate-filled man who was losing control of his life 
They come from a hate-filled man who was beginning to understand that his purpose was being taken from him and his value, oh hallelujah, was lessening because he refused to be obedient to the God who called him. A man without purpose and a man without value will become a torment to those around him. And a man given over to sin and envy will seek to overwhelm and seek to control other people. Frankly, a man that is walking away from God is just not much fun to be around. 1 Samuel 20, 31 and 33, For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, this is the words of the king, Thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. When you disagree with someone and they throw things at you, it's a good sign they got something wrong going on in their heart. And so now David is on the run and he's acting with human limitations for a specific reason. Look at 1 Samuel 21 and 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear. Everybody see it. He fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, under the king of Gath. And if when I say that, that sounds familiar when I say Gath, it's because of 1 Samuel 17, 3 and 4. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them, and there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines, a, a giant named Goliath of Gath. I want you to consider this with me for just a second. 1 Samuel 17, a shepherd boy with a sling is killing a giant. 1 Samuel 21, the same giant killer is running for fear of his life. 1 Samuel 17, a young boy steps out alone onto a field with a slingshot in his hand and faith in his heart. And by 1 Samuel 21, the same person is running in fear from Saul. How does a young man have the bravery to fight a giant alone, but runs from the king who was scared to fight that same giant? I would suggest that our battles become more fearful the closer to home they are. I have a thought every 4th of July. Please don't psychoanalyze me on this. Every 4th of July for years, 
at some point in the night when you're done watching the fireworks show that you were watching and all you hear is the loud booms in the distance. You know what I'm talking about? You don't see the lights anymore. You don't see the stuff anymore. You know, you don't got Mr. Greenwood singing, God bless the USA. Proud to be an American. (laughs) But you just hear booms in the distance. At some point, every 4th of July, a thought crosses my mind about how insignificant that is. But what if I was living in a war zone? And what if those booms were bombs being dropped on my homeland? I don't know why I think that, but I do. Every 4th of July at some point, I'll think, and I'll even, I've even mentioned it to other people, what if those were bombs being dropped and we were living in a war zone? Think with me for a second the different reaction you would have. Think for me this, just for a second the level of fear as these booms of destruction were closer and you're thinking about people you know that live in that direction. You're thinking about friends and family members or classmates who live over there. There's something about when it gets close to home that causes fear to really come forth. David had faith to walk alone into a valley against a giant, but he couldn't go sit at the dinner table with his regular dining companions. He had a seat. His place was empty, but he couldn't find what it took to go sit at the table because he was so afraid. Fear makes its presence known when danger seems to be in places that we normally find comfort and when attack can come from seemingly inside our safety zones. It can be hard to push back against fear. Fear comes into his heart. That's, there's no other way to say it. I like David. I love David. David's wonderful. But David has fear. And it comes into his heart, and he arises, and he flees that day for fear of Saul. And where does fear lead him? It leads him into the heart of enemy territory. It leads him into the land of the Philistines. It leads him into the city where the giant used to live. Fear takes David into a more dangerous place. I need you to hear me. I promise we're going to get to praise. But I need you to let me just talk to you a little bit. Fear takes him to a more dangerous place. You see, the problem with following fear is that it will never lead you to safety. Fear can't lead you to safety. Now we're beginning 
And I, sometimes I read these things and I, I wonder if it makes, if any, whatever. But just consider this. I just found this and just consider this study by neuroscientists at the University of Pittsburgh. Just this is a somewhat recent study. This is what they say. There is growing evidence that the cognitive process of decision making depends on proper functioning of specific neurons within subregions of the prefrontal cortex. That's the front. It seems to be the part that we don't know much about, but we're always learning. The prefrontal cortex plays a pivotal role in executive functions that include long-term planning, understanding rules, calculating the consequences of risk and reward, regulating emotions, problem solving, and decision making. And this is what they say. Anxiety, fear in both animals and humans appears to disrupt brain neurons in the prefrontal cortex that are critical for making smart decisions. Fear messes with your brain. And when it messes with your brain, it messes with your ability to weigh things out, to look at things correctly, to make the right decisions, to calculate the consequences of risk and reward. This is something we're just starting to understand about fear in our brains. But listen, folks, we've known this for a very long time. Fear leads to bad decisions. I don't need a neuroscientist to tell me that. Fear leads to bad decision making. But I offer to us tonight as well that David's fear came about because not that his prefrontal cortex wasn't working like it was supposed to, but I would say it came about because he momentarily forgot who God was and what God had done for him. Now look, you get to heaven and you can ask God and maybe there was some stuff going on with his prefrontal cortex and man, and he made a bad decision because he was living in fear. But I'm talking about an understanding that my faith can override my fear no matter what my brain is telling me to do. I can live in the will of God if I let myself stay, hallelujah, in the presence of God. If I make myself stay in the will of God, in the word of God and I don't forget who God is and I don't forget what God has done for me if I quit living like I just woke up this morning and I never heard of God and I start living like I've been walking with him for a very long time oh hallelujah I gotta start living like I've been walking with him my whole life and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread I've got a God who's always come through he told Saul himself before killing the Goliath Goliath you remember this verse 32 and 37 of 1 Samuel 17 David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth. And he is a man of war from his youth. 
And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and I smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Well, then go on then. (laughs) Go, and the Lord be with thee. Oh, hallelujah. Well, thank you, Saul. I appreciate that. It sounds to me like David really wasn't waiting, amen, on Saul to weigh it all out. David had determined in his life that he was going to be a giant killer. You know how he determined it? Way back when he was a shepherd, and he was saying there came a lion, and I trusted God. And I remember when there came a bear, and I had a and I trusted God. I remember when times got tough and things got lean and it got real dark and I didn't know where the answer was going to come from but I trusted God anyhow and I marched right after the lion and I walked right out where the bear was and I grabbed him and I looked him in the eye and said, I'm not afraid of you. I got the Lord on my side. That was David's perspective of faith at that time. Now we see him running all by himself, hiding out, fearful for his life in the land of the enemy. And they recognize him. That doesn't seem like a big shock, does it? He killed their giant. And he didn't, even, he didn't even have armor on. And by the way, if you remember, he kind of made a show of it. <laughs> Amen? Remember a few, a few months back we preached, you got a head in your hands? Walking around with a head in my hand. And <laughs> that's what he did, wasn't it? And so they remembered him. Mm. And when they remember him, God, I believe, tries to jolt him out of his fear back to faith. Because look what happens. 1 Samuel 21, 11. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? The enemy recognizes him as a giant killer. And they even quote the songs that were sung on the day of his victory. Now look, you can just chalk that up to humans being humans if you want, but that sounds like God being God to me. David has let fear overcome him, and he's running for his life. He's got no sense of direction. He's making bad decisions. Things are getting worse because he's going deeper into the enemy territory, and now he's recognized by the enemy, and God is saying to him, don't you remember? 
Don't you remember the songs they sung? Don't you remember? He's got these soldiers saying, isn't this the one they sang about Saul and David and killing his tens of thousands? And David's hearing the sounds of the women of Israel and remembering the song that they sang about his victory. And he should be remembering. And the Bible says he lays it up in his heart. But he doesn't let it affect his faith. He remembers the song. He can connect it with the victory. But he can't seem to connect it to the faith he used to have. Oh, hallelujah. I know I'm ministering right now. I need you to hear me. He connects it to the moment he can tell you. He can tell you about things God did. If you sat him down and said, has God ever done anything for you? He could list the things that God has done, but he's somehow unable to connect it to the faith that he had. And a story about faith without any faith It's just a story. Oh, hallelujah. A memory about a miracle that God did. But if you don't remember the faith, if you don't remember, oh, hallelujah. So they recognize him and they sing the songs and they quote the songs. And David could have remembered his God and he could have restored his faith. But instead, verses 12 through 15, and David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them. He changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, ye see the man is mad. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Why did you bring him here? I don't even want him. Get rid of him. Fear has positioned him in the middle of his enemy. And he has to pretend that he has lost his mind. And he has to portray himself as weak. And in no way the warrior that God had called him to be. He starts behaving in no way like the man of faith that he was purposed to be. He starts making decisions and acting that are not in alignment with the man of war and faith and strength and boldness and confidence that he was called to be. And he does all of this You see, fear will have you running to your enemy and masquerading as something you are not just to maybe survive a few more days as if you're a hunted man with no hope. 
And now is about the part in the message where you think, Pastor, I thought this was about praise. And I'm almost done. But look at what God does for David next. Look at this. I don't want you to miss this. 1 Samuel 22, 1 through 5. David therefore departed thence, and he escaped to the cave. Now he's in a cave, hiding out in fear. And when his brethren in all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and other peoples that were having struggles and debt and, and that were discontented, they, they started coming and gathering themselves to where he was, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men, and David went thence to the midst of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray, they come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt him with while the David was in the hole. And the prophet... Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold. Depart, get thee into the land of Judah. And then David departed and came into the forest of Hereth. Now, let me give you three things that God did for David when he was alone, when he was being driven by fear, when he couldn't seem to make the right decisions. He's in a cave. God does three things for him that we just read. First of all, God reunites him with his family. Oh, hallelujah. The family came to where he was. Oh, hallelujah. Now, you might have a good blood family or a bad blood family, but I know you got a good church family. Oh, hallelujah. You got a good church family. This is an excellent church family. I tell people all the time when they come and they're guests, I say, look, you're going to want to be a part of this family. This is a family to be a part of. You got a good family. And God uses the family to help us when we're afraid. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, God uses the family to help us when we're living in fear, when we're struggling with fear. The devil's the one who tries to isolate. The devil's the one that tries to get you off in a corner by yourself. The devil who wants the one who wants you to start thinking that nobody else understands what you understand and nobody thinks what you think and nobody knows what you know, so you're all over here by yourself. That's all the devil's handiwork. God is always going to say, you need to get back to the family. You need to get reconnected to the family. You need to let some family get around you and while I now let me just flip it to the other side and talk to the family for a second when you see someone living in fear we don't cast them aside we don't look down our noses at them because they're struggling in fear my god you were struggling in fear before too and you may struggle with fear again but thanks god thank god for a family that'll come to where we are find us in the cave and say look it's gonna be all right you can do this we're here for you thank god for the family Oh, if you're thankful for the family, I wish you would begin to praise him like you're thankful for the family. I wish you'd begin to worship him and praise him like you're glad that I've got a family of God. He reunites him with his family, number one. Number two, he reconnects him with his purpose. Notice what he does. He finds people. 
God just starts sending people to him. Right? You've read it. This band of misfits. Right? And what does it do for David? Does it just give him more shoulders to cry on? Does it just give him more people to spread his fear? Does they all come in? They come in good, and by the time they see David, they're like, oh, this is the world's over. It's all over. This is the worst. I hate everything. I hate you. Is that what happens? No. But what does it do for David? It says, and David became the captain over them. He's anointed king, but he's forgotten about that. He's anointed king, but he, he can't even remember what it feels like for the oil when it was running down his head. He can't even think about that anymore. He's been living in a cave. He's been acting like a madman. He's been running off all over the place. He doesn't know what he's doing or where he's going. He can't remember he's supposed to be king. God can't just come down and say you're supposed to be king. So, And here's a whole kingdom. Here's all of Israel. You're supposed to be king. God says, no, I'm going to have to start him out small. Hey, I'm going to grab this little group of misfit people over here. I'm going to grab this guy over here. I'm going to grab this one over here because i got to remind David of his purpose. i got to reconnect him with what he is doing, what I called him to do, who I called him to be. I've come to remind somebody in the house of the Lord tonight, you've got a God-given purpose. You might not be able to remember it right now, but I feel in my spirit there's some things coming your way that are going to start jolting your memory about what your life is for, about the reason God saved you and the reason God gave you that anointing. Lift your hands and praise him. If you've got a God-given purpose, lift your hand and praise him. If you're thankful for a God who wants to reconnect us to our purpose. Hallelujah. He reunites him with his family. He reconnects him with his purpose. And the last thing he does is he restores the voice of a prophet in his life to give him direction. David's take off, he's took off and run. From, he's, he, when he ran, he ran from everything. He was running from Saul, but he, was, he also ran from Samuel. When we take off running in fear, we leave everything behind. There was a man at the table who hated David and wanted him killed. But remember, Jonathan also sat at the table. And Jonathan loved him. And when we let fear drive us into the unknown, we can unknowingly and unwittingly leave some things behind that are of great value. And one of the things he left behind was the word of a prophet in his life. But God brings the voice of a prophet into his life. And that word from the prophet gives him direction. What we need when we're struggling. I don't, I don't, what do I need? Where do I go? Where's the answer? Where's my hope? Where'd my faith go? Where'd my reliance upon God go? Where did my understanding of the... Get reconnected to the family. Get reacquainted with your purpose. Get the voice of a prophet in your life so that they can give you some direction. To 
direction. That's all. I just need some direction. It's time that we get some direction. And I want you to look at what the direction is. The prophet says, get out of this stagnant place of fear and go to Judah. Get out of this cave. Get out of this stagnation. Get out of this darkness. Get out of this nonsense and get to Judah because Judah, the fourth son of Jacob by Leah, the name that originated in Leah's words of praise to the Lord on account of Judah's birth. Judah literally means praise. God told David, you're going the wrong way. Fear has you making bad decisions. You're acting like you, you, you don't know what to do, and you're destined to be king. It's time to get up. It's time to get back to praise. It's time to turn this thing. You got to get away from the nonsense. You got to get away from the naysayers. You got to get away from the unbelieving. You got to get back to the family. You got to get back to your purpose, and you got to get back to praise. Hallelujah. You got to get out of the cave and get back to praise. Stand with me if you would, please. Hallelujah. And when David does, oh, hallelujah. You ready for this? When David does, he writes a psalm. And that psalm is the 34th psalm. And let me read the first few verses. It says, this is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul he wrote this when he came out of the cave he wrote this when he finally got reconnected to the family and reconnected to his purpose and reconnected to praise he sat down when Judah and he wrote hallelujah my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. I'm talking about a God who knows exactly what you need right now. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, I feel it. 
there's a good time to get back to praise. It's a good time to remember what God has done for you. It's a good time to reconnect your faith to the things that God has done in the past. Lift your hands and begin to love the Lord right now. Come on, lift your hands and begin to worship and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I need somebody to remember. Come on. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. You've already got first. The first step is already done. You're already reconnected to the family. You're in the family right now. You're in the right place with the right people at the right time. You've already got the first part done. Now God wants to reconnect you with your purpose. And he wants to reconnect you with praise. Oh, hallelujah. Come on and begin to praise him. Go ahead and begin to praise him. I'm going to open this altar in a minute, but I want you to praise him right where you're at. I want you to praise him. I want you to lift up your voice and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. This poor man cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. And he heard me. And he heard me. I cried unto the Lord, and he heard my cry. Woo! 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 Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord. Come on, I'm telling somebody right now, the moment you feel like running, you start running. The moment you feel like dancing, you start dancing. The moment you feel like shouting, go ahead and let out a scream. Go ahead and let out a shout. Go ahead, Brother Hernandez. Come on, somebody. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt. Come on, don't let him run alone. Come, come on. Join my brother. Somebody join my brother and run with him. Come on, somebody. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Go ahead and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I cried unto the Lord, and he heard my cry. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He Hey, hallelujah. Come on, Sister Gabrielle, you were in the spirit yesterday. Amen. I got on Facebook and she's talking about how David danced before the Lord and I felt it in the Holy Ghost. I believe somebody needs to let the Lord know how thankful you are for what he has done in your life. And remember, I remember the lion. I remember the bear. I remember when I wasn't afraid because I had faith. Because I had faith. He Hallelujah. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hey. Hallelujah. Come on, I can feel it. 
I can feel it right now. I can feel it right now. I got about eight or ten people that are about to explode inside, but you're standing there, and you're worried about it a little bit, and you're not sure what you should do. Pastor is telling you, go ahead and let yourself go a little bit. Quit worrying about what everybody else is thinking or doing. Go ahead and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, can I get one elder to lead the way? Can I just get one elder to lead the way? There's something still hanging over us, folks. I'm telling you. There's something still hanging over us from when we were shut down for a while that God wants to break through right now. It's enough is enough. God wants to break through right now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Come on. Can I get somebody? God bless you. In the name of Jesus. There's one more level we got to break through. God's got revival coming. He's sending new people. There's joyful things about to happen in this church. But there's one more thing we got to break through. And I need, come on, Brother Crane. Thank you. Thank you for the help. All right, sister, go ahead and worship the Lord a little bit. Come on, yes. Come on. I got any other elders? I got any other elders? that want to show us that there's power in praise that there's power when his praise comes out of our mouth I wish I could get a few elders just to start marching around the building my God in heaven I wish I could get a few people just to start thank you sister just start marching around the building just start marching Sister Beth. Thank you, Pastor Lear. Come on, just start marching around the building and let his praise come out of your mouth. Let his praise come out of your mouth. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.